Welcome to the Ohio Ministry Network podcast. The following audio was recorded at the 2014 Forum. For more information, please visit ohioministry.net. Awesome. Hey, thanks for joining this session on gifting and creativity and leadership. And uh, we're going to jump in here in just a second, getting a couple things set up. But uh, wasn't that a great session we just had in here? Pastor Stan, awesome, awesome job. And uh, kind of the kickoff of this session is kind of interesting how it dovetails. I'm going to just, Matt's working on a couple things for us here in the tech universe, but uh, I want to try and highlight a couple things that we're working on at the network office that could become tools in your hand. If you've got a forum booklet, on the opening flap of that is a... Um, an advertisement for something I'm going to show you in just a second, which is uh, the online learning management system. So what this will do is it will enable us to take all of our collective minds, right? So all of the lid, that whole idea of collaboration means that it's no longer dependent on me or on you, or we can now collaborate all of our content, bringing it online, videos, content, you name it. Here's the cool part. So it works a lot like an online college. If you've ever done college online or taken an online course, that, that's what this works like. Where if you liked a course that somebody in one of our churches created and you wanted to use it in your church, you click duplicate, it duplicates the whole course. You take their videos out, you put yours in. You take their content out, you put yours in. So there's no sense in reproducing the wheel if it's already been created. Does that make sense? So that's what that is. That's the power that that has. I'm going to kind of just show it to you a little bit um, on these screens in a moment. So that's one place we're going to go that I want to sort of plug. Another thing I'm going to talk about today is uh, age and stage discipleship and what that looks like, and I would love some collaboration on that project as well. And we'll show you kind of a, a road map for discipleship, and that's related to uh, this, and I'll just walk into this. So we talked a little bit um, in the last session about, about doing and about vision. This session, it's funny, is a lot about systems, okay? So uh, vision is God's. God gives the vision, right? Uh, system is me and you, right? And then the system creates the behavior, and this is the leadership that we develop, that we release. And those leaders have behaviors, and how they interact creates the culture, which eventually becomes a movement. And you know and I know that culture is always more powerful than vision. If you're trying to turn a ship, you recognize that very quickly. This is just basic movement theory. And so this Part of this conversation on creativity and gifting is to sort of attack uh, how do we get more leaders in our leadership pipeline? That's the key question. How do we move more people more quickly through our leadership pipeline and continuing at a high rate of competency or at a greater rate of competency? And if we can do that, then we'll hit critical mass and achieve uh, that what we call innovation efficiency in the local church. So two continuums, right? So there's, there's the bottlenecking of leaders where we have systems and things they need to go through and processes that we need to have them go through until we release them. And on the other side of it, it's this concept of, uh, it's called the Hayflick limit. And very quickly what the Hayflick limit is, is it's a, it's a medical term, but in leadership it means this. In the body, cells divide and replicate, okay? 
But when a cell divides four or five times, the, the very ends of the chromosomes, the DNA, begins to sort of break down. And that cell, rather than dividing again, goes into what's called uh, replicative senescence, which basically means it stops dividing. It still does its job, but it doesn't replicate. Now, that's why doctors and scientists are always telling us to put the right kind of fuel in the system, because if you put the wrong kind of fuel in, like sugar, I love Coke, but it's got sugar in it, what that does is it speeds up the replication of cells so quickly that those cells that should have gone into that mode don't, and they become a, quote, free radical cell. And this happens in rapidly expanding uh, uh, e evangelistic churches where they expand so quickly that they can sort of look back and go, hey, we re reproduced, but that looks a little different from what we were trying to go for. So those are the continuums. On the one hand, there's bottlenecking, and on the other, there's the, the hay flick limit. And so finding that balance is sort of the whole uh, premise in this conversation. So I wanted to take you through that and just show you uh, a couple things that, that we're working on that we want to try and help help you with. Okay. All right. Let's do it this way. You all see that on the screen? Right there. Oh, we're blocking here. I apologize. Hope we can move that in a second. Uh, we'll talk about gifting and creativity, but let me, let me just uh, go to ohioleaders.net. So this is our online course content. I wish I could show it to you bigger. But this will enable us to take courses and content online. So it's got a user interface. It's got categories. It's got courses. So we'll click on the courses there. And again, uh, let's see. So I'm going to view this as an instructor. So here are some of the courses that we've got. We've got introduction to leadership, mentoring courses, engaging culture courses, small group courses. Okay, so... What we're developing is those courses for people to, to walk through. So let's say you wanted to launch small groups in your local church. You could come on here, log on, and you've got some of the course content already developed. So here's a quick PowerPoint of, it's loading, but there it is. So a person would go through that content, and then when they would finish it, it would ask them questions. So there's a quiz at the next point. So we can build the courses any way you can imagine. If you want to have a video from uh, Willow Creek, you can have a video from Willow Creek. If you wanted to have a video from your own staff, you could have that. But what this does is it enables you to not only have access to content that other people are creating, but also create your own, but collaborate in that venture and take your people through it. It's got analytics so that you can say, okay, I want this core of leaders to take this course and see where they're at in the process, rather than saying, hey, did you read the book? It really helps them walk through that process. So it's a tool uh, for us to take discipleship from Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and expand it across the whole spectrum of a week, because every teenager I know has an iPhone or a, a tablet. And that puts discipleship in their hands. Wherever they go, they can access it. Okay? So this is scalable, uh, and it's cost-effective because of the network. 
Now, I know, I know how this works. I've been doing network ministry a number of years, and if you really like something, usually you want to make it your own, right? And you want to brand it. It's confusing if it says Ohio Ministry Network. Not everybody knows what that is if they go to First Assembly or wherever. So here's the really cool part. This has the ability, not only unlimited courses, but also unlimited branches. So you can establish a branch, put your own church branding on it. It's got your own URL. You're still inside the network itself, so you still get the pricing and the power of leveraging all of us together, whereas you would normally pay $129 a month or whatever it is to have a system like this in your church. We figured out a way to do it a dollar a user a month, okay? And we think we can go even cheaper. So there it is. It's a solution of one of many. Another partnership that we're working on is Right Now, uh, right now Media. Uh, to, with talking with them, uh, they would be willing to give up to 50 churches, Right Now Media, for $40 a month for the first year. Okay? So that's significant, uh, just a partnership. So if those are things that interest you, I'm sort of throwing some things out a la carte. Uh, the other one, of course, is a rocket company that we've partnered on uh, just in different ways that we're trying to drive, again, leverage the power of the network, drive the cost down, and make it a, a tool for you and your church. Okay, so in the context of, of all of that, we are working on a project that we're simply calling, uh, it's a discipleship roadmap. So we call it Key, Compet- key Competencies and Milestones, a Discipleship Model, Okay. So what we've done, and we're, we're researching this, I'm talking to all sorts of different folks uh, in different areas of church. They may be from AGTS. They may be from a non-Pentecostal uh, tradition. So many of you may be familiar with, like, Lifeway resources. So some of that's integrated in here. Some of you may be familiar with the Think Orange, the Orange curriculum that's integrated in here. But what would it look like to have a roadmap for a a discipleship diagnostic for your church so that you could say, in this age group, we want these students to know these key knowledge pieces and we want them to have these types of experiences. And So what we're working on is a roadmap. So so these are some of the knowledge outcomes and I don't want to spend the whole uh, of my time on this, but I just want to let you know kind of that we're working on it. So this one is uh, present culture. And uh, it says things like serving. So this is a person that's not part of your church. We want that person to know that we love to serve. We want that person to know we love diversity. We want that person to know we love to celebrate. Uh, we, want that com- we want our community to know we love the broken. And then finally, there's 11 outcomes there. We want that community to know that we love Jesus. So what you'll find is, as you look at like the orange curriculum or the Lifeway, is they have a lot of this all the way up to sixth grade. And usually they don't have the Pentecostal elements in there. So we have integrated that and really tried to create uh, what we think is a, a good model. And we're, again, we're, we're talking to a lot of people. But the whole f- focus of this is to create what we call faith-life fusion, where people are integrating life and faith together. So that when you get to like young adulthood, you have learning outcomes like this. Number 18 says, following Jesus is costing me, and I'm willing to pay the price. Practicing. I am regularly meeting with believers to practice my faith. Fusion. uh, Fusion says, I'm fusing my professional aspirations with God's call and my education and career launches. 
at that moment, that's what we really want those uh, students as they turn 18, 19, and they're thinking about who do I marry, where do I go to school, what do I do? That's the time that that really is fusion. It's the, it's the, the collaboration and the, the fusion of that together. So uh, there's 225 different knowledge outcomes that we've identified. Uh, Charlie Self just launched uh, a similar stroke or concept that's got a, about the same, okay? And then we also identified, those are the knowledge outcomes, we also identified experience outcomes, 14 of them. Things like child dedication, prayer of faith, first Bible, first communion and water baptism experience, a purity uh, moment. So it becomes very obvious, glaringly obvious, we've got to address sex from a biblical perspective. Youth milestones, a rite of passage, uh, a giftings retreat, so uh, life planning, so you know, Financial Peace University, but before a student even goes off to college, it would be really good to know, hey, how do you develop a business plan? A lot of students go to college, they get a degree, they don't even know how to launch the idea that they have. So we want to put the tools in their hands. And then finally, of course, is high school graduation, a senior's dinner, a weekend. Adult milestones, you know, I won't get into the pathology of uh, extended adolescence, but uh, again, fusion of faith and career, marriage as a milestone, uh, new parent commissioning. So uh, Jordan Taylor is one of our uh, guys at Victory in Ohio has helped with some of the parenting concepts of this. So we're, we're trying to integrate and combine all this uh, for you, and, and it can be a tool or resource for you. Finally, the last milestone is what we're calling uh, the legacy milestone, where that person takes their place as a legacy leader. And what that means is, if you've, uh, there's a study called the Move or the Reveal study that Willow Creek did. They surveyed 150,000 uh, people and I think over 1,000 different churches of varying sizes and denominations. And what they found is, there was a circle I drew and it had four quadrants on the circle. It had uh, like infancy, so this could be somebody that's not necessarily an infant, but somebody that's brand new to faith. So infancy, childhood, uh, young adulthood, and then adulthood. And what, what that study found, what that Willow Creek study found, was once you got to the fourth quadrant, that church attendance was not equated with personal growth or with individual growth of the believer. That's really important if you've had any measure of success as a church, is because sometimes we can equate our success with, uh, in numerical growth with discipleship. And uh, that's not, not what this study's indicated. Oh, I, I laughed out loud when I read that because what it really demonstrates is this. It demonstrates that the people in most typical AG churches uh, want the classes or the large group experiences and they don't need them. And the ones who don't need the large group experiences and classroom experiences really are still growing and need them. It's a reversal. What that person in that fourth quadrant needs is a coach or a mentor. And according to that study, they needed somebody to quote, hold me accountable, quote, speak truth to me, help me become who I'm becoming in the life of faith. And they needed to become a coach for a young family. And so uh, a lot of leader development, where we're headed is mentoring, it's continuation of coaching, um, and, and really looking at that in that fourth quadrant of discipleship as we connect and put tools uh, together. And also succession 
uh, planning. And when I say succession planning, I am not saying retirement. There's a great book called The, uh, the Joshua Portrait, which chronicles the life of Moses and then the life of Joshua. But it's instead of letting a leader or a pastor burn out and then having somebody else come in and burn out, starting at the beginning with, think about uh, the end in mind. So develop uh, a team and ask the next person to join you and process it with you rather than this cycle of take it, burn out, new person burns out. So yeah, so that's a, that's a jump off point for, for us. Uh, my name's Dave Pafford. That's uh, um, kind of a crazy journey for me back to Ohio. Um, my parents pastored in uh, Cambridge, Ohio in the 80s and then um, went to Indiana and uh, was part of the church there in Kokomo, Indiana, and then uh, was at North Central in Minneapolis and worked with churches in Minneapolis and Minnesota, and then was in California at Fuller Seminary. I got a scholarship. Um, the admissions counselor said, hey, how does a Pentecostal get a Presbyterian scholarship? John Ortberg's church, Menlo Park, gave $18,000 for me to go to uh, you know, to Fuller Seminary and just a crazy, she's like, this has never happened. I'm like, well, it's the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you know, the whole bit. So um, just had a crazy uh, opportunity to work with lots of churches um, in the last eight years, working as DYDC director in Missouri. So that's kind of our, our faith journey. My wife is, her expertise is anthropology and uh, worked the last five years for the University of Missouri. So some of the stuff I process, I bounce off her because she helps me see some of that through the lens. So um, yeah, that's just, a, that's kind of where we're headed. And this session is why you came, so I want to jump into it. So gifting and creativity in the, in the church. So the objective, we want to show the importance of using gifting and creativity in the church and introduce techniques that individuals and churches may use to solve problems in an innovative way. So of course, uh, that whole idea, if you want to build a tower, start with humility. And uh, you can't, all of the other Christian virtues you can't fake. Either you're a merciful person, you're not a merciful person. But you can fake humility. It's kind of uh, a systemic disease that typically affects the religious, right? So that idea that we can be humble for a season, but Jesus fundamentally changes the nature of the Trinity. He uh, became a man, right? So fully God, fully man, permanently humbled himself. Uh, and, and how crazy is that as a thought, right? So it's not as though Jesus was human for a while and then, you know, it was back to his full godhood. Jesus is fully God and fully man. That fundamentally changes the nature of who God is, and it's permanent. And without its permanence, there is no salvation for you or for me because then he would only seem to be a man. That is like one of us deciding permanently to become an ant for all time and all eternity. That type of humility is pretty wild to me. Uh, so just as you think creatively, you've got to be humble. So a congregation is really a fascinating thing, right? So as, as you look at it from an organizational perspective, right, the faith community includes business owners, cultural architects, parents, children, professionals, and the team component is really huge, but you can't be a team player without developing sets of skills. And as, as a leader, you've got to figure out what those skills are. And I really encourage you to find and use assessments to do that. We could talk about that. So I, I think creativity and giftedness are the same coin. There are two sides of it. 
So another way to sort of look at this, and I'll just jump off. I have a garage that's got some tools, and some of them I'm better at using than others, right? So, you know, one time I hammered a stake with a shovel, and I broke it. It was my dad's shovel, and I set it back on the wall. And, and then, you know, it, it kind of broke just enough so I could kind of stick it back together and lay it there, you know? And so Saturday morning rolls around, a couple of weekends later, and he's in the garage, and picks up the shovel and it, you know, just in front of me falls apart. I'm like, what'd you do? And so, of course, I told him, you know, I used the wrong tool for the wrong job. But gifts are tools, right? And so grace uh, it builds up until it manifests as a gift. I, I alluded to this last night, but um, in, in physics, the uh, scientists could not figure out how mass actually builds up. So we know that this platform is here, and we know that it's physically made of carpet and wood, but how is it not now part of the floor, and how do those, how do those atoms know they're different from each other, so to speak? Couldn't explain that. Well, of course, this new research comes out on the Higgs boson, and that is to simply say that there is an invisible field upon which mass builds up. And so the metaphor, metaphors all break down, right? But the metaphor for us, as we think about gifts and grace, is that the grace of God builds up invisibly on this field until it transfers and becomes so gracious that it, it manifests love in the spiritual realm and then eventually even into the physical realm. Pretty cool stuff. And so even tangible love can't happen without invisible field of God's grace building it up. And so the good news is this, that the Great Commission is good news through giftedness, not simply just preaching. And so, uh, gift redefined. A gift is something that produce, produced by grace that brings glory to God. And so, of course, there are accelerators of those gifts, and, and we get to be part of that acceleration. So, um, these are the equippers, the teachers, the mentors, the coaches, the launchers, okay? Uh, you can also, you know, go to Ephesians 4 and look at that in that context as well. That's where that comes from, you know, prophets, uh, you know, he called some to be pastors, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But then there's also this concept that Eusebius really was probably the first to discover, and it's, it's a pretty uh, uh, just transferable idea of the threefold office of the believer, prophet, priest, and king, that every person is called to that, that the average person in our churches works 100,000 hours in their lifetime. So we've got to think about that in the context of discipleship. As we call people to tithe, okay, we're not simply calling them for their money. That dry erase words away. 16.8 hours. What does that represent? It represents a tithe. Time. You, can't, you can have all the money in the world. It's not going to disciple people without the element of time. And that fundamentally is tied to materialism in our culture today. I know it. I watch it. I watch it in your churches as I watch people give and go. And that... That has to be part of the conversation when we talk about giftedness and creativity is, is accessing and having that conversation with our folks. Uh, so as prophets, all of the people in our churches are called to be, uh, they're called to their work as heralders of future truth. I don't uh, want to get into the theology of that, but I believe not only is God imminent, transcendent, but that God's also before us in time. And that when we lean into our work, we lean toward that imminency of the kingdom. So it's a prophetic harbinger of that, and then uh, that we actually move the present toward the future. All right, so here's kind of the theological jumping off point for this conversation, and we may not get to finish it, but that's okay. 
Consumption, number one, is for creation, but that charity is the goal and the impetus of human ingenuity. So if you look etymologically and you do a study of all these words, here's what you're going to find. The word charis is the word grace, which means unmerited favor. The word charis, charismata or charism is the word for gift, okay? And it is etymologically totally related to the word for grace. So uh, gift is a grace freely given, right? So you ask yourself, well, where was I at when God was handing out the gifts? When you meet some of these folks and you're just fascinated and amazed by them because, hey, it's great when you meet somebody who's good at math, but when you discover somebody who's like, you know, a nuclear physicist and they also can snowboard and ski like nobody's business, it's just not fair, Right? But God gives them out freely. There's a thing called common grace, which is this idea that God gives gifts not only to believers, but also to unbelievers, and that there can even be collaborativity there. I mean, that's fundamentally, without common grace, the world just doesn't make sense. Now, finally, that these are related to this idea of charity, the love of my neighbor, the passionate focus on the well-being of the other. So much so that Jesus says, hey, do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to be a believer? Let me sum it up for you. The law and the prophets hang on two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And two, love your neighbor as yourself. And so interesting, I'm not a big King James guy, but the King James, I think, really does it justice because when they translated the word agape, when it was man's relationship to God, they called it love. But when it was man's relationship to man, they called it charity. Okay, so that's the, that's the jump off point. Okay. So in the 1955 uh, issue of the Journal of Retail, a guy by the name of Victor Liebau basically said this. He said that while our economy has been a a laissez-faire economy, that we've got to get people to consume more and use stuff up faster than ever before. Where our economy was a capitalist economy really up to that point, now there was a concerted effort to create planned obsolescence and perceived obsolescence, and that filtered into the life of the church. So uh, really a crazy shift in, in how we even view our economy. I don't know, some of you may remember uh, parents and people who used to save the foil, right? Or light bulbs. There's a light bulb in Liverpool that's lasted for 111 years, but ours just die out. Why? Because they built it into the system that way. Okay? And so... Um, I wish I could spend more time on all these concepts, but in the universe today, some new buzzwords are emerging, and uh, the number one searched item on LinkedIn, you guessed it, was creativity, okay? So that was a buzzword. I'm a creative person. I'm great at, you know, however they spell it out. These are some of the big ones. So creative intelligent, divergent thinking, lateral thinking, and then framing. Here are just a few examples of that. So these are some headlines, big, five big trends in business innovation in 2012. Uh, seven ways leaders can foster innovation. Okay, and then it goes on. So want more business creativity? Creative, creativity without borders and on and on. Okay, so our, our creative capacity is so important. Our, our future depends on it. That's how God made it. He made it in such a way that our faith can't exist in a vacuum. So, um, you know, if we don't work, we don't eat. And societies that don't produce, they collapse. It's, it's history. I mean, you can look at it. So it exists in the real world. So someone once said, if you don't like change, you'll like irrelevancy even worse. And so 
Uh, let me introduce you to the new world. Welcome to the world of the creatives and the commons, where the creatives hold the power and the commons serve the creatives, okay? And let me also introduce you to the new world that's related to that, and that is the day of the missionary pastor. The day of the professional pastor is over. The day of the missionary pastor is here. Welcome to the new age, okay? In the 1930s, um, we had this rise of social, economic, geopolitical phenomena that was beginning to sort of eclipse our world as the Industrial Revolution sort of was at, maybe at its peak and its strength. And then in the 1960s, a guy named Peter Drucker introduced the world of this idea of the knowledge worker. Now, now there's a book written by a guy named Richard Florida uh, called, called uh, I think it's actually called The Rise of the Creative Class, in which he says, by the way, I don't agree with all the premises of his book, so um, I won't get into that, but he says that 40 million Americans now belong to this creative class, and the value of it is meritocracy. Okay, so let me give you an example of that. Historically, education and system process like that was a way to sort of achieve some of the higher level paying jobs. But what's happening, that's still going to continue. Now you have innovators who've woken up and recognized that if they can bring a new product to the table or a new novel, novelty, right, one, one upload on YouTube and create uh, a kingdom based on being famous in that one moment. It's that idea of meritocracy. So we're, we're sort of, in a way, returning to an old world value of, uh, based on performance or agenda. So related to this whole conversation, as we think about that, is those people are hard target people right? They're hard targets. They're your, they're your educators. They're uh, your entrepreneurs. They're, they're important people, and here's why they're important. They're important because they shape the values of culture, and we've got we've to think about them as we think about how to be creative in the context of local church. So um, thinking about creative thinking, there's two really different uh, ways of thinking of that. There's convergent thinking, and then there's divergent thinking, so that left brain, that right brain. By the way, scientists have figured out that your, your self, your subconscious self, actually exists on your right side of your brain. They did a study with Bill Clinton's picture where they would take Bill Clinton's picture and your picture and merge the two together. And uh, you'd recognize it, but nobody else would. And they, I don't know how they do this, but they put the left side of the brain to sleep and you could still see it. But when they put the right side of the brain together, you couldn't see it. Isn't that crazy? It's, it's a really cool thing because what it says is, is that 100 billion uh, neurons in your head, when you say, I'm me, it's those individual ones. If you were to just ask one, it'd say, eh, it's that electrical pulse, right? But the collective little tiny gels all in your brain are actually saying, me, I'm off, but, uh, off topic. But that part of that convergence of the divergent thinking and the convergent thinking coming together um, I can't say all that. So if you want to take a picture of it, we got to move on. But it's openness to novelty, idea generation, on and on, elaboration, evaluation, and assessment. Um, but it's those combined things together. So divergent thinking, people think, well, I'm not a creative person. I'm a left-brain person. That's just, that's, that's silly. Okay. Um, now, is there propensities? Absolutely. Is the personality profile part of this? Absolutely. But... We can be creative in different ways, and there's ways to do that. There's tools, there's tasks, there's environments that we can sit down and actually build creativity even into your routine. So, but that's not this session, that's another one. So, again, we really suggest that you track 
uh, people's personality types. I would love, oh, here's my lobby point. I would love for the Assemblies of God to have a disk profile connected to every credential uh, applicant. Why, why not? Well, just a simple profile. All that would do is that would help us figure out, uh, you know, how, how does this person click? Are they a high D or what are they? And I think that could help boards, pastors, leaders, and it could help build our teams, right? So anyway, that's my quick plug. Innovation. So fostering creativity. So increasing the power of influence is going to the creative churches regardless of their size. Regardless of their size. There's a book in here somewhere. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Yeah. Transforming Church in Rural America, great book. Uh, Shannon O'Dell. So a guy goes into a church of 30, with 30 people and uh, through a genesis of really some interesting decisions that he had to make, renames a church, brand new church. The impact that this rural church has, I think they run like 2,500 people in a, in a county that's got maybe that many people. Um, global impacts. A lot of that is thinking creatively and then making the right decisions. Somebody referenced the book Good to Great today when they said get the right people on the bus, get the right people off the bus, that whole thing. Uh, But the whole point is that creative pace has hastened. You feel it, I feel it. And it's also related to staffing, okay? So one of the places we're trying to recruit people to Ohio has been uh, Minnesota, okay? And I texted an influential pastor, you'd know his name, and I asked him for some uh, references. Part of the backstory is I would constantly talk to people when I was in Missouri and try to recruit them to Missouri, and I'd have people say things like, well, we're just waiting to get discovered by X church. Okay, so I'm texting him, and he says to me, he says, Oh, yeah, staffing gets harder. Seems like every year I'm like, whatever. But many campuses. But what does that tell you? That tells you they want to go. It doesn't matter, you know, how much money or any of those components. It's more about the creative component that they'd like to be part of. So what does that look like now? There's a number of things. There's video venues. There's 3D imagery projection where you've got 3D images floating uh, on, this, on the stage now. Uh, just a bunch of different ideas that are floating around out there uh, and, and pretty fascinating. I was reading in uh, there's a book in here, I think. No, it's not in here. There's a book called The Multi-Site Revolution. The Seacoast Church actually has two campuses where they get this, half the band's in one place, half the band's in another, high-speed internet, they actually combine the music from the two locations together. I don't know how they do that without delay, but they want to be a, quote, church like heaven, and so they want to do it in two different locations. Wild stuff that people are trying to creatively be part of. And so you've got to, number one, of course, figure out what God's vision is for your church and let that dictate how creativity is part of that, that combination. So here's the familiar theme. Most successful organizations had a a critical or crisis moment, and the ones who made it took a calculated risk and went for it, while others slowly faded into irrelevance. So in the business of church and plenty of other areas, this risk aversion can often lead to what's called copycatting, where what worked elsewhere, rather than figuring out what God's vision is, we patchwork somebody else's and we we interface it. And so... um, that can be dangerous. Now, copycatting is also a very helpful thing for scalability and if it fits your vision. Okay, so let me talk <laughs> both sides of my mouth on that one. 
Okay, staffing as it's related to the whole conversation of creativity. And by the way, guys, it's 12.15, so can we go maybe five more minutes? Everybody cool with that? All right, I want to respect your time today. Right position, right disposition. So if teamwork is not rewarded in your staff, you're going to get creativity silos. And every executive thing I read says that creativity silos are the number one way to kill innovation. What will happen is you're going to have a really creative uh, area of your church that somehow, some way, seems to get all the resources and all the cool ideas keep coming out of that area because it gets siloed rather than uh, and so rather than just simply rewarding creativity, look for ways to reward collaborative creativity where teamwork itself gets rewarded, if you can. Uh, staff, staffing ratios, and this is related to that. Uh, it was a church growth institute um, in the 1990s. No, the Alban Institute in the 1990s. A guy by the name of, if I can remember his name, Alex somebody, said that uh, you staff one pastor for every 100 people, okay? That's typically driven, though, by a middle-sized church uh, uh, skewing that. Uh, And then you have all the way up to, like, Life Church has one pastor for every 350 people that attend its services, and that includes its its creative hub. So uh, as you think about staffing ratios and think about um, who you're looking for, you don't you know, he talked to, like, the director of Vanderblom, and here's what he says. He says, here's what's changed. Um, people used to hire people to, quote, do the ministry, and now they're hiring people to, quote, build the team. And then he said, you need a coach, not a quarterback. And so for every department or person you're thinking about hiring or staffing change you're going to make, make sure that that person, whoever they are, understands that and understands, number one, the most important thing you can do is not do it, but it's to build the team. It's more about creating a leadership pipeline, okay? Let me stop on that moment. Uh, so we talked about the, the, the funnel issue, right, and bottlenecking. And our church plants, what we're finding is that 90 to 120 days, that from the time a person says to a pastor, hey, I want to be a leader, to them getting trained and released into that area. Some of that's just existential reality, right? we got to have somebody, in our, in our existing or established churches, it's more like 120 to up to nine months, okay? Part of that is we've already got leaders in place. But could it be that one of the reasons we aren't growing is because we haven't quickened the pace on how quickly we release leaders and then that we haven't, we haven't released them outside of our, our main campus or area? And so uh, part of that also is related to uh, this isn't my computer, but I'd pull up a Mormon statistic that I think is uh, interesting for us to look at. The Mormons released their, their kids at age 18 immediately. Justin, Ms. Lank, are you in here? Great, great thing this guy said that's very, very true. We talked a little bit about discipleship processes. One of the places you never uh, overdo training is on evangelism. You release them immediately. And you, you talked about that in a session, but it's so true. What did Jesus do with uh, the demoniac? He said, hey, I want to follow you. He said, no, go tell everybody about who I am, okay? And so we can kind of flip things and get it backwards and think, well, that's the hardest thing, so we've got to have the most training on that, and that's not really the biblical model. Um, okay, so you're brainstorming and other meetings because uh, that's typically where a lot of people think creativity comes from. 
Let me get there. A guy named uh, Alex Osborne is the father of brainstorming. He wrote a book called the, Your Applied Imagination, was part of a, a, a marketing uh, group on uh, Madison Avenue, really influential for their time, and he coined the phrase brainstorming. And so, uh, but the way he did it and the way we probably do it in a lot of places is that we bring people together and we say, hey, let's talk about coming up with a few ideas. And the studies show that doesn't really work. So, um, you know, somebody, I was in another session today, talked about be careful when you do uh, meetings or overdue meetings. Sometimes meetings just suck the life out of time, right? When you do brainstorming in a meeting, make sure that the way you do it's different than the way it's typically been done because generally people value social cohesion over good ideas. So they should be either asked for in advance and brought to the meeting, or they should be uh, asked for after the meeting, or it should be where you divide and have people come up with ideas and then bring their ideas back to the group. Um, so again, meetings are helpful for clear direction duties need to be assigned, uh, but creative meetings assist on people bringing their ideas back to the group. All right, so I'm going to skip that, but if you ever want, to, want a, a story on cool creative space, look up Building 20 at MIT. Really fascinating, all these scientists and different people. This is the whole idea of cross-pollinization of people with different skill sets that you have in your church. Okay, so the R&D rule for churches, 2 to 3% of a budget and 10 to 15% of your time should be spent on thinking about creative ways to do church, do outreach, um, reach new people, that whole thing. So if you're looking for a magic number uh, and you like numbers, there it is. Um, this is Whirlpool set aside nine months to develop a strategic innovation plan. They pulled 75 uh, full-time staff from across the company, and a third of them became innovation, uh, innovation consultants. So here are some key thoughts as we close. Giftedness, talked about how charis is Greek for grace. The Great Commission is good news through giftedness. A gift is something produced by grace that brings glory to God. The goal of giftedness is charity, the love of my neighbor. Charity is the goal and impetus of human ingenuity. People who don't have tech issues appreciate that when they have a product. And ultimately, you know what? That's for the good of humankind. When we do ministry, it's to meet the needs. It's to help people reach their potential in Jesus. Uh, number six on creativity, platforming. Creativity language can increase an industry's innovation efficiency. So that's where things talk, right? Software, open source software talks. So if you're in a Samsung universe and you have all the Samsung stuff, your photos upload. Or if you're Apple, you, you, you get connected to the cloud. All that stuff talks. Imagine what that has implication for in places like multi-site, in, in, uh, in different departments. That's the whole idea of collaborativity that we're trying to pull off with uh, our online learning system. Uh, eight, to foster collaborative creativity, leaders must shun the great propensity to avoid risks. Creativity silos are the number one innovation killer. Talked about brainstorming. So those are our uh, just takeaways from this session. So let me close in prayer, and uh, I wish we had more time. That's probably half of what I'd love to have shared with you today. But uh, here are some just quick questions for our close, and they would be um, on the screen if you'd like to take a look. Over here are some of the top leadership books. 
you want to take a picture of that, you can grab those. Over here are some uh, concepts on leadership principles we'd love every leader to know or perceive or be, as well as some agent stage stuff. God, thank you for these leaders. I pray as they are creative in the different places that you've called them with the resources and the time frames that they have, that you would open up the gates of heaven for them, God. Lord, that uh, I just believe Habakkuk 2, God, when it says to write down the vision that someone may carry it, God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. For his sake we seek it. Amen.